0: I'm here with Antoine Wagner, an old friend who we recently had a really fun catch up because I did a deep Wagner dive, like beginning of quarantine because uh, Der Fliegend Hollander, and apologies for my pronunciation, butchering, obviously, but uh, Der Fliegen Hollander opened at the the opera in New York right before quarantine and I was just like, I went and I, I go to a lot of opera now and I think it was my first full on Wagner and I was just like I mean I mean while sitting there I was like I've it's like I've seen other I've it's like all the other opera and then this and I was just like oh my god this is like another this is like my shit this is like 18 levels above Everything else. I, I think I saw Toscalini or something like right before and I was like fuck that shit like that that's like that's junk that's nothing this is my like I'm diehard now so I went like deep dive uh, quarantine hit right after and I sought out like everything I could and I, I think I've read like four Wagner books since then mainly in the next 10 in like the first 10 days of quarantine and I watched all the Wagner Week uh, Met live streams, and since I've I've kind of jumped around to like different eras where you can find you know the 70s how they did it up until the 2016 how they did it, and it changes a lot. And anyway, I was telling Antoine this, and then he, uh, who we know each other from a documentary that he did back around. Uh, now it's it's the 10 year anniversary was this yeah. year of Phoenix's Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix. And there's an listomania is another connection. I'll let Antoine do all of this. But yes, yeah, so we know each other from that. And I just hit him up and I was like, yo, I'm in this like crazy deep dive of your great, great grandfather. Or is it, I don't know, great, great-great great or great, 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 whatever, something like that. And he has a new documentary that is focused on it. And yeah, so I was like, yo, let's like do a proper catch-up and, and and talk and get and dive into all of it. So um, you were about to start telling me about the 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 new work and and introducing it a little bit. So I figured I'd love for you to introduce yourself because I love the idea of like the multi format artist and, and the artist mm. that moves horizontally and mm. doesn't just stick to one aspect. So I love that about you. And I thought maybe, yeah, so welcome. And thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, as I, as I mentioned, I'm fresh out of 80 days, uh, confined in the Catskills, just on my way back to Paris. And I've been working uh, for the first time in a new medium in uh, virtual reality, in a collaborative uh, uh, work, I managed to get at least uh, 25 friends from around the world I, in 25 countries to send me footages and uh, put them all together in this, uh, in this uh, space. And, uh, you know, I've been very close to my creativity, very close to exploring this new medium, etc. But it's the first time I'm ever talking about it. So it's, it's a very Amazing. good exercise. Uh, and, um, me. <laughs> there you go and uh no so the, this uh, this piece lives in a headset and it's going to be presented in uh, in geneva in a gallery in 10 days i'm kind of uh, amazed that uh, you know the uh, it was about three months ago that the idea uh, flourished and uh, i thought that maybe if i'm lucky in the next two to three years, I'll be able to share it and present it somewhere. And talking to my gallery in Geneva, which is actually a new uh, gallery that I'm speaking with, uh, they were like, uh, let's do it now. Let's do it now. Why don't we do it now? I was like, what about confinement, the headset thing, et cetera. (laughs) And so we kind of started building it through QR codes on the, on the windows of the gallery that people could experience the, the, the piece through augmented reality on their phone, et cetera. And basically, the, the more we were going into this remote art and trying to find solutions to share uh, an artistic project remotely, the more the deconfinement started happening. And mm-hmm. uh, now we're kind of in the situation where people are eager to get together. People are eager to see art, to experience it, et cetera. So uh, we're shifting back to... Uh, an adaptation between the new model and the old model and trying to kind of find the hybrid of, uh, of how we can share with the maximum amount of people because we're in Geneva and, you know, it's new for me, uh, to, to present my work in Geneva. I've made work in, in Switzerland before, as you saw in the Wagner uh, and yeah, the Schweiz, documentary, the documentary. And, um, so yeah, it, it's going to be great to be back in Switzerland. I'm hoping to be able to go in 10 days. Uh, it's, the, the borders are still closed but supposed to open on the 15th on Monday let's see how that all all goes and um, yeah I mean basically do you want me to talk about I'm allowed to like uh, I'm cutting in here right but uh, I, um, whatever um, I'd like to start talking about this work or should, I'm just wondering if we should take this conversation chronologically of our encounter etc or if I should start with the most current work um, uh i think it, that
0: if it's on your okay. mind just just dive in and we can go backwards i don't care like <laughs> yeah
1: because cool. like you're in uh, flow
0: i don't want to interrupt your flow by going 10 years back you know yeah
1: no so basically umstellung as i said is a virtual reality work it means adaptation or changeover and You know, I was trying to find the right title in English, uh, but Umstellung was the one that kind of resonated because I grew up trilingual, with French and German and English. And Umstellung just was right on point. It's because it has that aspect of reinterpretation, uh, adaptation, It, it, it takes in so many words to define it. You know what I mean? Rather than being unprecise, it's so precise that it's like a catalyst of five different notions into one. It felt felt very appropriate because it's an adaptation to a new reality, a new medium, and also a new way of of uh, working because it's the first time that I'm collaborating in that sense. Do you know what I mean? I've uh, I've worked with uh, with artists before, and uh, as, whether it's Phoenix on Mestomania or uh, or the documentary, et cetera, but this time um, it almost felt like uh, building a film or an opera. Um, Reaching out to friends of mine that were artists, coders, photographers, etc., and saying, I need uh, a tree bark that you can see in your confinement if you have access to the outside. I want to see an anthropomorphic shape of a tree bark, and I want to build an impossible forest compiled of trees from different climates that couldn't coexist and make this, uh, this uh, harmonious uh, global forest. And everyone uh, was really excited by the project, and they sent me. You know, the the instructions were very clear. It was landscape, 20 seconds static video, and it was, I was more interested in the sound of the of the wind and like the slight jitter in their hands, et cetera, Just to give a bit of life to the to the forest, and uh, then placing all of that in an infinity room space. Uh, with, uh, with a sound that I uh, composed myself with the help of some uh, music producers. But so basically the approach is quite a uh, craft work, you know what I mean? It's uh, the, the 20 sounds of there and then the, the sounds of nature of the rain and, uh, and the Catskills and the kind of building this cool. kind of almost score uh, uh, through the elements of nature around and trying to give it a certain uh, rhythm and a certain uh, life, you know?
0: It's amazing that you had something to focus on like that in the you know during our our quarantine time and so a way to actually like enhance it you know extend the art through that almost sensory not necessarily deprivation but shift I guess.
1: Well, I think that this I think it, you know it was almost like a survival uh, uh, instinct. I'm such a social person who spent the last twenty years in New York, et cetera, and suddenly. Although I, all of my projects always brought me towards this uh, this nature, and uh, all of my photography is landscape and, uh, and nature captured, etc. And then suddenly uh, I'm here. I'm like, I'm gonna have a conversation with the trees. I can't be alone. I need to I need to interact with someone. <laughs> you know what I mean, and feeding off of the listening to the trees and feeding off of the environment was uh, was incredible because to be able to do it, you know, uh, uh, for 80 days, uh, concentrated without a single distraction or a single pressure of having to go there with, with no, uh, plans, it was really immersive, really immersive.
0: It's beautiful that you had that and, and that way of seeing way of, way of thinking for yourself. A, a lot of friends, I, I, I've talked about it. Like I'll, I'll talk on my Instagram a lot. That's like my just like you know blabbering platform and yeah. I think like my main sort of subject over the last few months has been like you know I I, I sort of hate that, that we, we just call it mental health but like it's really just just people you know and like how they're how they're feeling and a lot of what gets out there is like you know we we like right now we talk about protests we talk about systemic change and stuff like that but we don't really like go granular on the way that people are feeling in a day-to-day sense and interacting mm-hmm. and i try and focus on that as much as possible because i talk to a lot of friends who are just like super lonely really scared mm-hmm. not used to being alone not used to being with the person who they're with Or, you know, more than what they're, you know, they're with someone who they maybe see three times a week, but now they're with them 24/7, stuff like that. And people with, you know, financial instability, and out of their routines, and it's messed a lot of people up. And I think Mm -hmm. that we have, you know, everyone like references it, but we're not really talking about it. And we're just letting things continue. And I love hearing about friends who have embraced the moment to create, not just something through the deprivation. It's not just a break. It's not like, oh, you had your life in New York and then all of a sudden it got interrupted. You couldn't socialize, but this is actually a new way. So it's like, you can't talk to the people that you see every night, but like you could talk to the trees. And it's it's a literal interpretation of like, this is a different chapter of your life and you're gonna make something new out of this chapter, out of this framework i've really tried to think about it that way for myself like this is an opportunity Mm -hmm. this is a moment of of deprivation in a way of of absence in a way and absence Mm -hmm. is not you know i love the japanese idea of like absence is the creative's opportunity not it's not about what you're missing what you're searching for it's it's oh i can feel this what's around Mm -hmm. me you know what Mm -hmm. and that's how i've tried to look at it but a lot of people couldn't and mm-hmm. that that's really cool that you have an artwork ready for yeah. you know the reemergence to the world. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: What's the energy Thank like you. in Europe then? So people are, people are getting like psyched again, and people are. Well, we arrived driving. on the day of.
1: We arrived on the on the day of deconfinement the 3rd of June and they opened all the terraces in Paris and you can imagine it's 90 degrees here people have been indoors for the past 90 days so you have 150 people in the in the <laughs> terraces of the cafes it feels like like, uh, like uh, the music festival here and um people are friendly people are uh, uh, there's a, there's a very nice uh, nice atmosphere very um supportive very positive etc. and uh you know you you life is life is uh, going on over here and uh in the best of i and and you know what you're mentioning definitely you, you can feel that uh i don't know if the second confinement uh, they would accept you know what i mean like, like morally what what's happened so far is is hard you know what I mean so uh, they're embracing this uh, this freedom and uh, it's pretty epic. Uh, there's a nice sense of uh, harmony yeah, and unity, etc.
0: I don't know if it's you or me. Cut out a second. I, I got it? harmony and unity. I think you're back now. It was cutting. It's saying red. I don't know if it's
1: What's me saying red?
0: No, my connection. Where, is where. Does it say red? I don't around? know if it's mine. On the bottom left i'm pretty good now you're good I mean, now, you're was. now you're good now you're in yeah. okay um but i basically no I so,
1: so. It, it, it definitely feels good to be here um and uh you know the, the projection next is once the once once this show is uh takes place on the 25th of june i'm gonna move into the alps uh in uh, austria and spend oh, the summer there and uh and be uh be working on you know I don't want to lose this thread. I've been extremely inspired and motivated, and uh, my focus is razor sharp at the moment. So I, I want to stay on that wave and not get distracted. You know what I mean?
0: That's amazing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's hopefully I was thinking. I was watching your um your documentary and i was talking about how so i i my original plan back in i guess that was march was i wanted to go to uh, switzerland also for locarno thinking that yeah. perhaps by august you know europe would would be would be doing things like film festivals but i guess not um not yet no. but uh yes yeah, so i was going to go to your the the some of the places that i saw the I forget what it was called, but what was like the, the hot springs, the like healing thermal bath water yeah, yeah. thing?
1: Yeah, there, there's that in Bat bath by Bogat. Right. And then he lived in Tripskin, which is amazing. outside of eastern. Yeah. No, that that trip, that trip was uh, was very eye opening. It was in 2013. It was for the bis- uh, bicentennial of his uh, birth. And uh, it was right after the Phoenix documentary actually, where we met. Uh-huh. And um, uh, the film had just aired on Arte uh, here in France and in Germany. And um, this director called me up the next day. I knew who he was. We had some uh, some friends in common, et cetera. His name is Andy Summer. He, he's maybe one of the leading directors in classical music uh, documentaries. And he calls me up on my cell phone and he's like, uh, can we meet? Yeah. I have an idea for us. And we met and uh, he asked me if I wanted to co-direct a, a documentary on uh, on Wagner and his time in Switzerland and his exile, etc. And I saw how much it took, you know what I mean? From the Phoenix experience, we started with Listomania. Right. That's how we met in 2009. By the time the film was out, it was 2011. Yeah. It was two years, uh, 85 cities, uh, I don't know how many hours editing and you know, moving around, etc. And uh, I thought to myself, I don't think that I can co-direct and, and uh, dive into a, a project for the next two years, especially. Yeah. Uh, I think that it, I, I'd i like the more poetic, romantic angle of, uh, on it. And uh, so I really liked the idea of Going on to the footsteps of his exile in Switzerland, but rather than uh, participating in the, in the direction of it, uh, make a photo series about the panoramas that inspired his music. And uh, Andy loved the idea. Andy Summer loved the idea of that collaboration, and so we we went to to do some location scouting, and uh, we spent seven weeks between uh, Rorschach, which is on Lake Constance and Zurich, which is basically the walk that he did uh, when he fled right. as a revolutionary uh, in 1848 from Germany with the passport of Franz Liszt. And, uh, and you know, it was for me the most uh, transcendental experience with Wagner. I grew up going to the opera. I grew up, uh, uh, you know, very emerged into his uh, universe and his music, etc. Uh, but nothing felt the same as being with his diary facing the same landscapes 150 years later, which were more or less identical. Obviously like some of the glaciers had moved back and, and some of the things had shifted. You know what I mean, but for the most part, you feel that. what he was uh, looking at. Yeah. You feel what he was looking at and you see that it's the place for it's the backdrop to his, uh, not only his stories, but it's also the, the base of his, uh, of his music. You know I mean? It's incredible how suddenly that synesthesia made so much sense. It was, uh, unbelievable. And- When um, you use the
0: word transcendentalism in this context, mm-hmm. what do you, cause I, I don't think people, I think people throw it around and don't always understand what the concept refers to. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, transcendentalism in the context of Wagner in the context of synesthesia as you're talking about
1: mm. you know the the way that I just use this notion for me is really a, a relationship to scale um to me it just felt that I was never as close to this person that I've uh known all of my life uh, fictionalized and uh, and uh read about and you know almost this uh, this presence and suddenly we were as close as never before i could uh, i discovered i feel a lot of his personality through you know some traces left in nature and uh, that's what i mean by transcendentalism uh, it's a great aspect
0: yeah. it's a great uh like iteration on the concept because literally there's a there's a a phrase an aphorism within transcendental study the mountain is a mountain the mountain is no longer a mountain the mountain is a mountain again and and it traces one study of zen and the Mm -hmm. transcendental and it it, it talks I, i i think about it with this concept of the uncanny valley where you go from kind of like i look at the mountain i think it's really nice To all of a sudden like learning about the mountain and understanding a little bit and and sort of getting the vocabulary by which to receive the mountain and then all of a sudden like you can't scale the mountain in the ways that you know it could be and you end up just giving yourself like more ability to criticize and to feel Mm -hmm. what you could achieve but not and then you go to this other layer of Zen where transcendence truly lies where you understand, you see the mountains, You know grandiosity, you have the vocabulary by which to receive it and you can internalize it in a way that brings you somewhere, somewhere beautiful, somewhere where you can create and the alchemy happens inside of you and then you make stuff and that is the end goal as I see it and it yeah. takes a journey to do that.
1: Yeah. It's also interesting for me because as I'm visualizing your description of it is a mountain, it's not a mountain, it is a mountain, it is not a mountain. I almost see it, you know, from a, from a, you're, you're talking about at the beginning of this conversation about a horizontal artist and I'm Mm -hmm. visualizing a mountain chain horizontally and just thinking about how um, I did this exercise with the photography that I was doing of the panoramas there where I took the, the the landscape uh, outline and use those to place them into the Pro Tools and, and replace the oscillation oh, wow. by the by the mountainscape to see if yeah. there was any you know subliminal or subconscious connection to how the the kind of waves of the orchestra could be shaped et cetera and um, yeah I mean this this is again going into the 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 impact that this uh, experience had is it shifted the perspective into an infinite uh, way of interpretation you know accepting the fact that maybe it's this maybe Absolutely. it's the wind maybe it's the view maybe it's that bird that just flew over you feel that's so the vocabulary that's the language
0: yeah yeah. you were you you received the the language the the forms and then you don't understand them right you don't know what to do with them right away it takes time to mm-hmm. become aware of them and then interpret them in your own way such that you can then make things with them but that's the process that that we need to go through and that is existing in nature and in art and they you know they reflect one another and that is the i think that's why wagner came about leitmotif i think it, mm. leitmotif I, I don't know if i pronounce it correctly but yeah. i think it's exactly what you just said where mm. to him like going back to der fliegen hollander dun, 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 which is mm. one of the the which is the opening leitmotif of that opera and it goes Mm -hmm. throughout and it introduces us words language with phrasing that we then filter through all these other experiences contexts frames lenses smells you know touch all these different ways of experiencing the same word Mm. and then it's internalized and all of a sudden we have an unconscious reaction to it and it takes on new meaning. And that is alchemy. That, that is, that's the process. And I think the reason why Wagner is so successful with this is he understands where nature and art meet inside and it's the total art of his work the reason why, you know, Das Rangel, the Ring Cycle, like needs to be in this theater exactly as he built it. And the programs need to be exactly as he, you know, he, he thinks of the whole experience, cause that's what it is. So the thing yes, that you, you know that did, the, the thing that was going
1: on for you. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry, yes. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. No, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I think that late Leitmotif um, is, obviously a key notion of Wagner's work and I just wanted to throw out there the, what the definition was of it <laughs> you know what I mean how what it actually is the leitmotif is a musical theme that's reoccurring and that's associated to a certain character or idea or location you know what I mean so you it's almost as if everyone and every piece of the puzzle had its own uh, theme and then it, it gets uh, the threads of the different leitmotifs get, get woven together. You know I mean, and um, yeah, I do think that what you were saying about uh, him controlling uh, every single element of it, et cetera, is an interesting uh, approach and is true, but I think that also the strength of his uh, concept and his vision of uh, total artwork. Uh, is again it's horizontal it takes yeah. into, it takes all types of mediums into consideration, but also where yeah. it uh, where it's extremely uh, relevant and eternal is through the fact that he gave it that space with uh, byroid with uh, the performance live element of being uh, eternally reinterpreted so you know, there there's a stage, there's a skeleton, there's a frame uh, between the libretto, between the writing, between the, the etc. But then it always uh, adapts to uh, modern times. And uh, although the themes are universal and cyclical and uh, timeless, it gives the opportunity for a uh, for a contemporary adaptation or reinterpretation sure. and that's uh that's really the strength of the work is that it's and it holds valuable. up just as effectively yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a lot of the I
0: watched tristan and Isolde, which was it was like sort of a world war ii uh reimagining of it but it, it was it was you know the score and the libretto just in a context of like a submarine and um it was yeah. it was it was beautiful what was it like Doing you, you did one in Miami you did uh, part two of the Ring Cycle right I, I did Valkyries. the,
1: the second I did the second act of the Valkyrie and it was a it was a very yeah. interesting exercise uh, because it was a completely unconventional environment it was the New World Center in Miami which was uh, drawn and designed by by Frank Gehry uh, right across the street from the Fillmore and it is thought of as a concert hall. It has five projection sails for an immersive experience and an incredible uh, uh, lighting uh, uh, rig and uh, equipment and uh, and uh, a s- malleable stage, etc. But you don't have the classic uh, theater black box with uh, stages moving in the background, etc. And the idea was to, to stage the second act of the Valkyrie inside a concert hall. You know what I mean? And um, technologically, it was very interesting. Uh, you know, i had studied theater in, in the northwestern, not even 15 years before, and I spent my time in the workshop painting uh, backgrounds. and suddenly I have like five projection sails uh, with like crazy lasers and everything. It was incredible to see how quickly technology had evolved and how suddenly I could adapt this new technology to a piece that's uh, 160 years old. So um, I really thought uh, that I should to, to to give justice to the Valkyrie in this new environment. Um, I thought that it would be very important to think about all the elements. If I don't have a classical sage, think of all the other elements that could um, build this uh, and and make it justice. So all of the props. Whether it's notung which is uh, Siegmund's uh, sword, uh, the spear of Wotan, Brunhilde's shield, and everything, I designed and uh, and um, made all of those uh, 3D printed, extracted from photographs, giving them texture, etc. And then cool. uh, all the costumes I had made with a, a friend of mine who's a designer in Japan named Julian David, and uh, who came up with a fantastic concept to to, to marry into my into my concepts. And uh, obviously the, the casting, the singers were phenomenal, and then the, the lighting. And also we, we started with projections from um, the, the panoramas that uh, inspired the music in Switzerland, which we animated uh, with uh, uh, colored clouds, et cetera. And we took it a step further and then uh, started involving already other parts of the uh, of the world and forests of the world and mountainscapes of the world etc there, there were 15 uh backdrops which is incredible because usually in the second act you have five scenes and you have three backdrops do you know what i mean so suddenly you have 15 right. backdrops and uh, i think it it, uh, it was a very interesting exercise to to pace it the right way so that it's not distracting and you're not spending your time looking at the projection sales, but at the same time uh, um, giving it a bit more dynamic uh, thanks to the technology and, uh, and, uh, and the, the things that were available. And, you know, uh, we it took about seven months to prepare the second act and uh, the book now or the program slash catalog is finally coming out in, uh, oh, cool. in July this year and uh yeah it's a, it's a, it was a three-year adventure and uh i'm know directing to opera like, what the, it's crazy i'm breaking up
0: no that's a directing opera is just like yeah. <laughs> it's 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 massive just there's so much to it
1: mm-hmm. no it, it, i i really enjoyed the enjoyed the process everything with the conductor with the with the cast with the, everything, with the, with the lighting, with the, it was fantastic. It was, uh, looking forward to Would you do it again? Uh, yeah, of course I would do it again, but, uh, you know, it, it's something that, uh, if it, if I'm waiting for it to, to, to make sense, do you know what I mean? I think that, uh, I'm working on my things. I'm, uh, I like, uh, I have a a thematic that I'm following and a body of work that's evolving into a feature film, into performance, into now a virtual reality piece, into photography, etc. And, you know, umstelling means adaptation, change over shift. And uh, the reason why I'm so close to that title as well is that I think that that uh, adaptation element is, is very uh helpful in just uh having confidence in the in the in the destiny you know whenever things line up they line up i don't want to force anything if it, if there is no other opera there is no other opera if there's another one i'll make the best i can out <laughs> of it, <you> know?
0: <laughs> how do you see you know today in your peer group in the in the world in general like where does opera lie where, where is it fitting in
1: well, that's a good question. You know, it was uh, interesting for me, uh, Miami as a stage to direct my first opera where uh, in the middle of the summer, I didn't have that many. The, the, the producer of the opera came to me and said, uh, what's your guest list? I was like, I know two people in Miami in July. <laughs> right. Right? I don't have a thousand people to <laughs> so invite. And the contrast was incredible because you have like the... December
0: is a good time, but July, December's I a don't great. know.
1: Yeah. yeah july was a, it was a bit crazy but listen opera i feel that there's more and more of an interest and in, i think that the met's doing an incredible job the way that the you know i find that this whole confinement it was spectacular i watched uh i watched all everything the live that they streams yeah past. yeah was they're unbelievable. still doing it
0: it's amazing yeah
1: and their gala it was incredible etc and i yeah. think that you know What is nice is the transition that's happening is I think that even 10 or 15 years ago, it was something very uh, hard to access. It was expensive, it was hard to get tickets, it was And meanwhile, what's the development that's been incredible is that you can find uh, rush tickets, uh, student tickets. Yeah, the rush tickets are $30. exactly like
0: you can go and sit and I, I do that like i i go sometimes and i go sit down there yeah. i'm I'm like uh you know i i i don't know i'm on some board or something like that yeah. so i i go and i get like the the four seats but most of the time i sit upstairs and i buy the 30 i, th- I buy the cheapest ticket and they're totally yeah. fine and usually i end up yeah. moving downstairs because they'll be empty seats so
1: yeah <laughs> No, but you know, I'll, and, so, and I'll
0: just say, Oh, I'm an advocate or whatever, and they let me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and um, no, they, 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 it's incredible what's happening, and it's accessible through the live stream and all the cinemas around the world and everything. And uh, I think that the interest is, is growing. I mean, obviously, we're now in a time where, where big gatherings, et cetera, are complicated. But I do feel that, uh, that there's a, a, a true sensibility for the art form that's uh, getting, well, it's always, you know, it's been around for hundreds of years, but I think that uh, the, uh, the, the curiosity and interest level uh, of the age group has definitely become uh, younger, you know what I mean?
0: I see a lot and of just, young people there. I sit upstairs and I see young people up there all the time. I, I, you know, I, I, students just general. There's a, there's a lot of vibe there. It's cool. I think that, you know, there was a gap maybe like my friends don't go. I'm 35 and, and, you know, we're, we're in like similar age range. My friends don't go take them, but I I don't have friends who everyone says they do, but they don't really like, I go like every week. (laughs) And people will go like once a year and like maybe, or maybe, you know, or they've been twice in their life, you know, and they say, oh yeah, I love opera. They don't really But I see young people sitting up there and they're like students and, po- and post grads and stuff like, but my, you know, professional, like mid range, you know, j- j- just my-, my friends don't, op- when I tell people that I go to the opera, they're, they're-, they're surprised they like don't know that it exists anymore, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but young people do for some reason. And I go, I go to Indie opera too. Uh, Like Beth Morrison projects is really cool. And they'll take over like a s'more, a small, you know, black box kind of theater and do, you know, do a, do a two hour. It's never like one Mm -hmm. of these epic, you know, four and a half hour ones, but they'll Mm -hmm. do like a two hour and it's awesome. And it's like, it's not just like, europeans either like i saw one that was all chinese and it was very cool <laughs> it's like did you ever get
1: a chance i to had go never to seen Ama- you know,
0: chinese singers
1: <laughs> sorry did you ever go to the amato opera in um, bowery before it closed
0: no i never No, person. what was the story I, it might have been before i moved back to new york Oh,
1: there, there you go. Well, no, what was well, the story with No, that it, 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 it was a downtown uh, opera with 120 seats uh, next to the Bowery Hotel yeah. today, and uh, sadly, it, it closed its doors. I think about four or five years ago. But uh, oh, yeah, I, I was, was living too, in LA but, then. Well, there you go. Uh, no, but um, yeah, I think that uh, the uh, the accessibility and also you know the other element that's fascinating in opera these days talking about how it can be reinterpreted etc is when there starts to be a collaboration between a 200 year old composer and a contemporary artist you know when you have a a production by william kendridge or basilitz in munich or it's Mm -hmm. unbelievable i mean to suddenly see these uh these uh, world creative worlds uh Di- dialoguing, you
0: know, it's there's nothing really like it where we can start to explore the ideas you were talking about. You know, you can go to this mountain range and look around and look at the things where you know the, this is what he wrote the libretto based on, and then you can go interpret the music and stage it yourself and 3D print the props and like and the and the <laughs> wardrobe with someone who wrote this, you know, hundreds of years ago and. It's very different, you know, it's not like doing Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, you know, it's very different. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: and no, and the, I,
1: I think that, you know, what, what, I, what I find very inspiring from uh, uh, Wagner's methodology and his concept of et cetera, is the, this idea to anchor the narrative into mythology. And, you know, to, to really take um, a, uh, the beauty of the myth is that it's a um, reoccurring uh, cyclical story uh, that uh, takes in the, the main notions and emotions that we, that we deal with throughout a lifetime. One of, one of them that's, uh, that's very relevant today, but that's been visibly relevant for thousands, uh, if not ten thousands of the years, is the, this, uh, a, this idea of redemption and of identity, right. which is a reoccur- two of the reoccurring themes, you know what I mean, throughout his thirteen operas, I mean he, he wrote more, but the 13 that are still uh, being uh, played and interpreted today. Uh, it seems like the common denominator is this theme of identity and redemption. And uh, what 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 more of a what more of a uh, a theme for 2020 than uh, at least identity? <laughs> so
0: on the on the idea of identity for yourself, when we were talking, you know, about horizontal, like, what do you consider, you know, process-wise, maybe? Mm -hmm. the way that you flow between you know an exhibition and installation like that opera Mm -hmm. filmmaking documentary narrative cinematography Mm -hmm. photo essay like how do how do you end up going between these things
1: Mm -hmm. well I would say that it always starts from a from a narrative Um, as I said I studied theater and then I studied film and I kind of started my, my, my approach into cre- the, this creative, uh, universe through film. And, um, I always, you know, I, I love shooting and blah, 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 but I can't shoot a photo series or a, uh, or a film without a story. I need a script. I need to, I need the narrative to be able to build, you know what I mean? It's very, uh, very important to me more than a concept, more than an aesthetic, uh, um, uh, Subject, etc., and um, I, I've always been fascinated by myths, more Greek myths, I would say, and uh, it's always, I guess that that's from uh, from uh, having been brought up in opera or in, as Wagner calls the musical dramas, because you said that there were different categories of operas, but it's it's really that idea that um, wow this makes so much sense today it feels like it's the same story but how would it look like this story in 30 years and what what's if all of these times uh suddenly collided and uh how do you take a story from uh from um you know 3000 bc and you uh, uh look how it's interpreted in 1800 and then you play it forward and you think about it in 2100 and it, th- these are the kind of things that uh, these stories and these myths are what motivate my work. And then the, I'd say the, the actual uh, uh, visualization of it or artwork of it, it's, it's, it's so influenced by the environment and the timing, you know what I mean? Like here in the capsules with a drone and uh, an internet connection, I had to uh, pull together a virtual reality work because I thought that there would uh, there would be no space to show work for the next two years and so I needed to create a space for to show work and um, and then you know it's it's kind of uh, listening to uh, uh, what uh, the environment and the opportunities are around and uh, judging what uh, what can be done and uh, always I love experimentation. I see my studio like a lab. I feel like, uh, you know, now that I've done it, now that when I did the photo series of, the uh, of the landscapes that influenced Wagner, I had questions about, are you going to do the landscapes that influenced this person? I'm like, no, I feel like this is now that body of work and I need to try something else. And I, yeah. I love the, the, the process of, uh, experimenting and, uh, I love conceptual art. I spend a lot of time uh, in the galleries and museums worldwide, seeing how uh, how people uh, you know express themselves through various mediums. And um, I, I feel a bit—I uh, don't know if I'm going to want this, but <laughs> it 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 feels a bit like um, I wish I could paint because I'd have incredible subject matter, but I'm not a painter. So I'm trying to gather yeah. all the elements to make a beautiful painting by uh, by uh, collaging uh, stories with video, with sound, with installation, and um, you know, again going back to Wagner and his influence on my work is, in the end, he finished with architecture, building his uh, his uh, his uh, total artwork ended with the Festspielhaus. House, and so. I always consider a space uh, in my work. All of my uh, exhibitions or interventions have always been site-specific. You know what I mean? I always have, when I I'm working, I'm producing work. I have my studio. I have a a space where I'm doing things. And when uh, the opportunity for a show uh, arrives, I might have an idea for a show. But as soon as I see the space. There's a there's an adaptation or a shift towards that space always. You know what I mean? Because it has such an influence and such an impact on the on the work that's being presented.
0: I get it. Yeah. So that so you've yeah. I, so are are you putting out the? So is is the Switzerland doc? documentary is that is that getting a new release or what's the what's the story with it
1: no, right two... on places it came out in 2013 it was uh i think aired in 16 countries uh, the dvd exists i i mean i know that the gallery is going to have a few copies and i think the producer is uh has put it on one of the streaming platforms or at least on apple and oh um, it's up oh great I... cool yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I didn't realize it was streaming. Cool. Yeah. It's streaming for sure. So then what was it like when you were, okay, so let's go into the the Phoenix documentary and you know, off the idea of like how you react to space, you know, this is, I don't know what you said, 80 or something, 80 locations, or you, you know, you were all over the Mm -hmm. place with them on tour for a couple of years. How, Mm -hmm. how did that come about? How was your reactivity to so many
1: spaces? (laughs) Well, um, the way that the the Phoenix documentary came about was I was, uh, at the time, I had just finished uh, assisting Michael Haneke on his remake of Funny Games in New York. And uh, I'd come out of NYU, out of the film school, worked with Haneke, and I wanted to make a film, and a producer friend of mine said, You should you have to make a short film or or a music video and build a reel and everything like that blah, blah, blah. And I made a short film um which got absolutely no attention from anyone <laughs> but a uh, a French producer and a French producer invited me over to do a music but was video. was that the other film with brady
0: or or that yeah exactly. Writer? okay that yeah, one yeah, with great. leopoldine I mean, and brady corbett great yeah
1: no no I, no, so no. That, was, that, was that was later that was later oh, okay but brady wasn't funny game that's how I met yeah funny yeah me. great yeah exactly and um and so uh anyway so i'm i'm directing my first music video in in paris and i get a call from the producer a couple of days later and he's like uh uh Phoenix are releasing a new album. Uh, everyone's pitching on them because you know they're they're huge and uh, everywhere. But at that time, especially in France, this is before Gang and uh, their single is called Listomania. And I said I have to do it. Like, what do you mean you have to do? It? Like, well, it's my great great grandfather, and I just did a video installation called Round based on the life and the footsteps of Franz Liszt for the opening of his new uh, concert hall in Riding in Austria. And uh, put me in front of them. Uh, I don't know who else is going to do it. I mean, yeah. He's like, yeah, I don't know. Da, 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 da. And uh, he made a few phone calls. And we met in a little cafe uh, in the 620s in Paris. And the four of them showed up. And I had my laptop. Uh, I was 25 or 26. And I see the stand arriving, you know, that I've listened to. Uh, and I opened my laptop to, to kind of show them a presentation of what I thought. And Tom just looked at me and was like, you're doing the music video don't worry <laughs> let's just meet let's just say hi to yeah. and so we did the music video Um I loved it it was uh, working with them was incredible what I really uh, appreciated was the, the more abstract it was the more they enjoyed it and uh, it was a real contrast to the previous music video which was all about you know figurative uh, exploration of the artist etc and um basically like uh four two or three months later these other less interesting music video opportunities were coming in and i got a (laughs) call from tom and he was like uh we're playing bonnaroo do you want to come and take some photos and i said absolutely i'd love to come and take some photos and at the time you know the 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 5 d had just come out, so you had like a hybrid that looked like a camera, but that was also shooting video and uh, good quality for the time being and so I said to my friend, Francisco, "Do you want to come with me and we go to Bonnaroo and uh, we'll see you uh, take it from there and we literally the the first kind of leg of the tour that and we that jumped was on was was Bonnaroo, Chicago, Toronto, and Boston, and I thought that so it was I would' have be seen cool. you in
0: Chicago, yeah. I didn't yeah. go to Bonnaroo, Park but I right. went to Lollapalooza.
1: You went to Parkwest, right? that's Lollapalooza.
0: Oh, was that? Oh, was that? Oh, I don't know. I was there for Lollapalooza, so the, 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 a trip right. before then. So I wasn't at that one. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so um, basically, this what was what was meant to be a four-day uh, uh, photo shoot on tour turned into a year and a half uh, documentary uh, produced by Arte. Uh, in 85 cities around the world, I don't remember how many countries we did, but uh, tour bus, planes, trains, automobiles—it was—it uh, was epic. And and you know, seeing how they build their music and how they almost have also this approach of the late motif by weaving things together uh, and their way of composing was really inspiring. And spending so much time on the road playing with different mediums, you know, the, the, the way that it, when I started, you know, settling into the bus and settling into the tour, I thought, okay, I have this 5D for concerts and uh, interviews, etc. But then all these beautiful landscapes that I'm seeing in the Southwest or in yeah. Latin America or in Asia and everything, yeah, I'm going to shoot them all on Super 8 and keep them for myself and maybe do something with them one day. Do you know what I mean? And then in the end, it was so close—the music, to the grain of the uh, Super 8, of the environment, and everything—that we we tied all the mediums into the documentary. And uh, it's almost again that kind of same uh, 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 model that uh, each character or environment had its own medium. You know what I mean? And then got uh, got uh, woven together. And it's the same thing—the way that we built the sound with Cisco while we were editing it was uh, we always started from the stems into the studio uh, recording into a live recording into a full live uh, uh, experience with the audience, et cetera. So it brings every track from its, uh, from its uh, initiation to its, uh, from the masses.
0: yeah there you go from a mess to the masses it's it's really like the way that you frame the only thing that i'll give a little color to is when phoenix when this time started like phoenix wasn't what they are today like they weren't coachella headliners this tracked them from like they started so they, they had this was their um third album or fourth third right third album i forget i think i think third album and no there's
1: alphabetical untitled and it's never been like that yeah it's it's their fourth
0: fourth, yeah fourth album and they're a very well respected band but like they were not you know the strokes they were not they didn't have their franz ferdinand crossover record that didn't happen and they were really cool really had this like daft punk connection which people would talk about but like they weren't you know they like they played at music hall of williamsburg for you know whatever that is like 600 people and mm. it they were super cool but it was not like a mainstream thing at all and mm. you guys started with that and yeah. you started at 600 people and it went all the way I, to headlining Coachella in one record. And they debuted in one the record. next. Yeah.
1: And, and, and for me, I, I still don't, uh, I, I can't make the, the difference whether the Coachella headlining or the Madison Square Garden. Madison Square line. Garden
0: was the moment. Oh, my God. It was yeah. the
1: moment. It was the moment. Oh,
0: oh there's no, no comparison between. So, like, the two peaks of those would be, at Coachella, you had R. Kelly coming on to do the the you know the mashup, which became like a club hit, which is amazing. But at that Madison was later, Square that Garden, was
1: bankrupt. That yeah, that bankrupt. that
0: was what that was the premiere yeah, yeah. of the new record. Yeah, yeah. But it was yeah. it was really like continuing Wolfgang right, Amadeus right. like yeah. energy. You know, yeah, no yeah. one had heard the yeah, record yeah. yet, so right. uh, it was it was still. I thought of, they were headlining for Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix. No one yeah. reacted yeah. to bankrupt in the way that they did. Wolfgang Amadeus but the peak was Madison Square Garden when Daft Punk came on and they did Around the World and If I Ever Feel Better and they did it once ever in their history they never did it again it was crazy It it
1: was crazy that was the
0: show they rumored um, I won't I will neither I will not comment but the that was the show where all the blogs started rumoring that Daft Punk hired two homeless guys outside Madison Square Garden to come and be on stage and pretend to be them and then they just you know hit play Uh, but that was like how there was a time you know in 2010 2011 like this was so like those nights those parties I was I was like I was at a I was there from, you know, from 600 up until the garden, up until Coachella. And, like, these were the coolest, hottest parties in the world. Like, hip-hop wasn't everything 10 years ago. Now hip-hop is everything. Now there's no cool white people. Like, like vampire, Ezra Koenig is the only cool white person. You know, there's only – he, Vampire Weekend could be the only <laughs> – But, like, back then, the culture was super diverse. And, like, I remember, like – maybe it was the Grammy party or something at Teddy's, whatever that was, was like such a fucking cool. Everyone was there. It was just yeah. such, and the Lollapalooza party. I remember a lot. There were just such a lot of cool bands played that year who were all friends. So it was just, that was, it was such an exciting time. Cause Phoenix went from this very, very, very respected, but not well known outside of their community band, and then they eclipsed everyone while maintaining this sincerity and, and like the reason why they were respected. All the coolness, all like the you know obtuse language, all of the elite motif that we talk about. Like they, they didn't change. It wasn't like they went and made you know a pop record from what they were doing before. Like mm. their first record's actually popular than Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix really. You know you have Too Young, and mm. that's like the most straightforward song they really did. Mm. And then Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix goes and, like it has like nine minute songs on it that are two parts and stuff, and like it's mm. super operatic and weird. And they just transcended. And mm. what's really what was really cool to watch. And this is this is the documentary from a mess to the masses. It, it, I mean it's it's so it's my it's still to this day my dad's email signature from a mess to the masses and it's just so wild i'll never forget like it was 600 fucking people all the way to the garden and coachella and they never it it, like i i've never seen even like mumford and sons was a wild ride to be able to watch but that was like zero to a hundred and that was also like people make fun of them they're cheesy and stuff like that like no one has ever made fun of phoenix because like everyone everyone respects phoenix so i've never seen someone go from like zero to 100 like that without changing anything just doing what they do to the max like they just they just did the best version of wolfgang amadeus phoenix is just the best version of phoenix and they went and you know talk about vampire weekend like they vampire weekend were like ahead of them for three albums and then they switched but they didn't switch because phoenix like cheated you know they didn't like like phoenix would literally headline above vampire weekend and it just doesn't really happen that way like it changes because they make something like black keys became headliners at doing what they did but they did it because film score because film film syncs they started being the theme song to thing Like That's how they crossed over. Phoenix didn't do any of that. Cadillac commercial happened after it was already a smash hit. That was like just money. You know, that was just, it's just so, I've never seen anything so sincere in its explosion. If you look at the Coachella headliners from the last, you know, 20 years, like there's no example like this where something like Muse was a headline, but Muse like lost all their real fan base by the time Mm they got to headliner like i didn't give a shit i was at muse shows when there were 150 people in the room i didn't give a fuck by the time they were headlining coachella because they changed their sound phoenix is the only one that like play like their their fan their first hundred fans like would be so excited for them to be doing Mm -hmm. that there's like zero haters it's it's very cool they are
1: phenomenal artists yeah yeah they're phenomenal
0: I think like they care about the art more than any of their peers, you know, any, any of the, the other bands in their range. (laughs) What did you learn about them as people while you were doing that?
1: Uh, What did I learn about them as people? They, uh, they're very, true and very honest and very sincere and uh, their integrity is incredible and their uh, respect and the love for art and their how they prioritize uh, creativity is unmatched, unparative. uh, uh, Why do they make art the way that they make
0: art? I know that's a broad
1: question, but like... It's a very broad question, (laughs)
0: Like, why do they, they they make music for, that a mainstream audience can enjoy? They make, you know, warm melodies. I
1: I think your father put it very well in the documentary saying that, you know, it's, they've known each other from childhood and they have this brotherly love and it's the four of them acting as a band and going through, uh, uh, what human relationships are, what creativity is, et cetera. And really having managed to, uh, uh, make, uh, one ego out of four egos and, uh, have a almost have a brain power that's four times stronger because their their level of collaboration is, uh, is so tight, so united that, uh, it's in- impen- impenetrable it it's, uh, it's uh, it bounces uh, keeps bouncing it's uh, it's the phoenix <laughs> <laughs> and one. also you know a lot of the references come from very beautiful places and their their interest uh, is very very broad it lies from uh, ancient philosophy to uh, to uh, the latest uh, latest uh, tech, uh, techno beats. Do you know what I mean, uh, yeah. the whole area is uh, they're not focused on one thing in particular that they're trying to uh, you know, this is where the conversation ended. Let's bring it to the next level,, da, da, da. but it's right. really dragging along or not even dragging along, but almost distilling uh years and years of creativity and uh, and making uh, almost uh, let's say haikus or poems uh, that uh that are uh they're quite subliminal the texts of tom and uh, the the layers of sound etc uh i feel there i mean i have such a such a close relationship but i really feel uh, the for me the, the music is uh, today everyone's raving about binaural technology and the 3d sound and traveling sound etc for me their music even from the first album it's already under the skin i mean it's unbelievable sure.
0: yeah there's really there's a text to to phoenix music that is unlike other it's not like uh when you want to go into like what a song means or something like that, where it comes from, it's not just like, oh yeah, this is about a girl who I knew from growing up and me imagining, you know, what she'd be like today. It, it, it's never that simple. There's so much that goes into it of different art forms and influences and emotions and experiences. And it's very, very... You can do like like it would be cool to do like a genius kind of style, but it would be impossible. Tamar would never would never give us all the you know all the info because it's so impossible to to code to decode unless he tells us. But he would never, and I hope he never does. You know, because it's yeah. for us. He yeah. passes it along. So what well, do you think, think? Maybe it, maybe
1: a nice approach is that everyone. Everyone can interpret it their own way. Do you mean exactly? Yeah,
0: I like that. Mm -hmm. So, where do you think you know the world today with art making? How do you think other people, you know, people that you know, people that you see out there, between you know, you're split between the U.S. and Europe, and uh, Mm -hmm. how do you see art changing after this this period?
1: Listen, I think that at the moment, I think that the, the, the first wave right now feels like it's, you know, people have embraced collaborative and remote art. You know I mean, like uh, it's, uh, it's easy through the Internet to uh, uh, communicate, exchange, etc., cetera, uh, so on and so forth. But I do think that uh, there's going to be our, pretty soon a uh, kind of post-Internet uh, yeah. movement uh, once either here you are, you have incredible uh, uh, Wi-Fi down in Mexico <laughs> yeah. and we're, we're traveling to space. I'm in Paris. We're chatting. But I have a I have a feeling I don't know what your reaction uh, to this whole situation is. But I'm I love collaborating. I couldn't I think I couldn't stay sane without an exchange at this, uh, in, in this wave. And then again, you know, I, I pick up my phone and I see that uh, my consumption of screen time is uh, three times more than usual, uh, although it is productive, although it is creative, but I feel like my eyes are burning and that they're starting to get crossed and everything. And um, my kind of reaction to this was like, right now I'm on this show where there's a lot of, uh, you know, production things to, to sort out for the, for the show to exist, etc. in Geneva with a new gallery that I'm working with but I'm, I really have this uh, desire slowly to move away from the pollution of, uh, of social media, uh, move away from this constant uh, relationship to somewhere else, and on the contrary, be focused on the present and, uh, and the current environment. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm leaning towards a flip phone or a GSM phone with, uh, with five oh. people that, uh, that can urgently get in touch. And of course, use the tools and technology that's available, but almost like an office from nine to six. I, I'm on this phone, but the, in the evening when I'm having dinner with someone, that's over. I, I don't, I don't want to be able to say like, oh, did you see this today? And oh, let's double check the the spelling of that, et cetera. I'm a bit nostalgic of uh, of the humanity uh, and the relationship existing outside of the realm of this uh the smartphones and current technology. This is kind of my reaction yeah. after the eighty days spent close to nature. You know, I mean, for me, it wasn't a voyage like uh, Jules Verne around the world. I wasn't Silly as Fog, but uh, it was an introspective uh, travel, and uh, I feel like my time I want to uh, manage differently, and um, have uh, the relationships with uh, with people or the interactions with them might be. Uh, uh, less frequent but i want them to be in that case more intense and less distracted it's about and focus so I, pardon me the more it's about focus, focus yeah yeah it's the focus and i think that that will slowly influence uh, and that's what i call it, i guess the the post internet uh, uh, remote collaborative movement that's really and that i'm really enjoying at the moment Do you know i mean I, i'm a, I'm uh, ecstatic about this virtual reality piece and how people were willing to help, et cetera. It was incredible. Uh, It it was a healing as an experience. But I'm already foreseeing the moment where when you talk about process, when you talk about uh, um, uh, what's next uh, after virtual reality work, after an opera, after a film, et cetera, i am i'm i'm interested in texture i'm interested in minerals i'm interested in painting i'm interested in uh so i think that the the where where i'm going to next is a place that's uh more uh, embracing of the the idea of isolation uh for for creativity and exploring that I mean with materials new materials
0: I think maybe it means attention spans will shift also if if others follow the example you refer to I think the reason a lot of people don't go to opera all the time is attention spans you know I sent people like my film that I just made and like the opening there's just like I don't let like nothing happens for a few minutes and a few people will you know they're out like they just can't sustain a few minutes without stuff happening. Yeah. And I'm, I, and I'm totally, I mean, I'm, I'm doing this on purpose. Like I'm fine with that, but you know, that's why I, I think people, I purposefully like, like as I'm talking to you, I, I um, I'm very conscious of, of my eyes and staring at these screens the way that, cause mm. I do the same thing. And I yeah. make sure, like, first thing in the morning, I stare out. So I have a huge horizon line in my view right when I wake up and, and as I'm sitting here. And I just, I just like, make my eye – I just stare at it sometimes. And, like, I have these islands in the distance. And I just make it like an exercise for myself because physically, you know, it's the, it's the same thing with it's – it's like a meditation, you know. You're moving your body in certain ways that – like like the lack thereof. It's, it makes you elastic. And, and if your eyes are only looking one foot, at, like ever, mm-hmm. that's it. Like mm-hmm. your eyes are just, I, I don't know. I think about it like your eyes can't possibly work well if you're only looking this far away at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what else, what else stops working when you do that? So I, I try and exercise that way and think about, you know, I want, I want my body open. And yeah. I think about that with, uh, with my consumption, with, with what I'm reading. with You know, I, read, I like to read slow also. like I'll, I'll, I'll have my time where I'm just gobbling things up, information, you know. I had my yeah. friend on who I read his book in like two days because it's like an oral history book. And it's like I, I just didn't feel the need to like be – be you know basking in the prose because it's it's just people talking so i like Mm -hmm. ran i just raced through it but there's other books that i spend i'll spend a couple years on and i'll read a little bit at a time and i'll read Mm -hmm. sentences for a while and i think it's important for the way that our brains work for sure hopefully people are allowing more Absence in there uh, gaining more comfort with that kind of absence. Now it's like people can't even, you know, you wait. We used to have these times where like you got to a meeting and you have to wait ten minutes for the person to be ready, or like you're at a doctor's appointment and you just sit there and like it's all shitty magazines, so you don't even bother to read them, you just sit there in silence for like for a few minutes, you know. And now we don't even have that. You're on the subway, you're in just every moment is engaged in something that you're constantly processing things and processing new things. And I think that this gave us this quiet time. Hopefully we integrate it.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, that talking about the, you, you said that you you've been down there with that incredible view and, since about the beginning what the 10th of March or so yeah and you exactly. came from New York as well you were in New York uh-huh. before then I was
0: in I was in Oaxaca for most of February then I was in New York for about 10 days and then I came yeah. straight here yeah
1: No, because I, I was in New York and uh I remember that I remember it so well the the I went the last thing I did on the Wednesday I think it was Wednesday the 10th or the 13th of March or so um I went to a Donald Judd opening. I could go oh, yeah, I went. Chelsea. I went. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and um, you know, you're suddenly facing an artwork that uses space as a medium. And just uh, poetically or reinterpreting that as, like, the the last interaction where I, usually, yeah. I, you know, I try to see art five, six times a week, uh, whether it's... Yeah. A, a, so in a gallery or a, you know, I really make a point of it to have it part of my day and of my routine and then leaving and then suddenly you're like now you have an empty space it felt like such right. a portal and uh, and um, it was a it was an incredible kind of transition it was like a hard transition like boom you see this <laughs> now you're there totally
0: yeah, I went to that right before leaving. Before leave, I, w- I went back to New York in between my Mexico trips for a little over a week, and I just crammed in culture. Like, I was at museums every day. I was at opera, ballet, uh, concerts, theater. All the theater openings were, were at that time. So uh, I got to see all the previews before they never actually opened. Like, I went to Hangman. I went to Virginia Woolf. I went, I went to yeah. a lot. And... Yeah, and I go to the I go to the MoMA a lot because they have one painting that I like to look at, the Maxwell Beckman, the Departure. And I go there, and I I sometimes just go just to look at that painting. But I went for Donald Judd also, who who had he had an exhibit at the MoMA too. And yeah. I remember I brought my friend from from college who was like looking to catch up, and I hadn't seen him since college. He was in like I don't know. I think I think I forget if he was a marketing major, but he's like a music guy, music industry guy, and he seems like disillusioned. You know, it's like basically, you know, if you're my age and you haven't like really had that moment of your own yet, in you're disillusioned. And he's one of those guys who like hasn't really, you know, hasn't figured it out. So he was, I don't know, he was just kind of looking to catch up. And that's what I had him do with me. I brought him to Donald Judd, actually. Mm-hmm. And I talked. He had never, like, looked at art like that. Like, to art, you know, art, he's, he's one of those people that, like, when you say, oh, I'm an artist, that means you're a painter. And mm-hmm. that's just, like, what it is. And so I brought him to Donald Judd, and I talked him through the whole thing. And, you know, I uh, on the wall will be just, like, a pipe and then there's like another pipe at a right angle to that pipe and I explained to him how I how I feel the Donald Judd work is like it's about watching it's, it's about receiving in many ways and it it serves your your you know your practice of of receiving ideas and communicating them all of a sudden like this thing's on this wall you know there's this white this is a guy Donald Judd who in the 60s he reviewed everything he wrote on art he wrote on everybody and yeah. then he started making his own so this is a guy who would walk into a room and stare at a white wall with a with a rectangular you know illustration painting photograph on it and then he would write about it he'd talk about it and then he'd write about it he did that for a decade or so And then he started making his own. And what his own looked like was very, very different. It wasn't even sculpture. It was just sort of objects placed in the same position where he would be thinking about these paintings. And to me, what my takeaway on Donald Judd is is just that, is that what is the practice of doing this? What is the thought going through my body? When I'm, you know, am I meant... to just stand there and stare, I'm a meant way. But like, I don't actually see the whole thing because I know that there's this opening inside, on the left side. And if I don't go and literally peer around and tilt my head and see it, I won't, I won't know, I'll walk around this work of art, I have to angle myself differently. I have to question, is there meant to be a shadow there? Is that the lighting, is that intentional? If this person is, standing there am i receiving it differently and it changes how you how you receive things and then you know i think it gets into the total art idea of of like if you look into opera and are you you know where are you sitting in the theater what mood are you in uh you know did you eat or like things like that changes your perception and how the ideas move through you that's yeah. that, that that was what that was where i went with that donald judd exhibition i like to bring that everywhere
1: nice. i don't know nice. and so what's next I'm for
0: you so i am in mexico right now very very happy i am feeling more awkward every day with that happiness because all my friends are going through very very different experiences both from quarantine and now protests and i am very passionate a passionate supporter for this movement i do what i can by talking to people about it and making connections and supporting this but it's nowhere near what lot of other people are doing and going through so i'm i've been i've been progressively less comfortable with my comfort uh yet at the same time yeah i mean next for me like work has been awesome during this like i've been really productive i i think i i guess i started by just going inside and like writing a lot and absorbing the moment and really like I was ready for this kind of thing to happen like emotionally you know and I saw it right away and I was like oh my god like I'm gonna lean into this and like isolate and really do that and it was powerful for me I've since you know like come out of the shell a little bit but still I'm, I'm mainly by myself here and yeah so I have you know festival acceptances for. I, I made a, I made a film that we shot at the end of the year, and it took a while to cut because of I was sick at the beginning of the year, and then my editor was sick, and then everyone was sick. <laughs> so it took yeah. it took a while, but it worked out uh, because I probably wouldn't have waited for the fall festival season if I got it done right away. Cause I was, you know, it's so September, it wouldn't have ever occurred to me that, you know, a film that we shot at the end of the year to like wait till September, I would have done all these other things, but now it's now it's feeling really cool. So, you know, I'm waiting on one festival that is my top choice, but I already have, I had five that like, I was like, I won't show it anywhere, but these five and um, really four, uh, cause one would be later and I hope to shoot again before, but yeah. So I already have one. So I'm, I'm good. And I'm waiting on, you know, the other and I'm my music. I record in remote sessions. I do this show like this. Uh, I have everything that I do, I can do just as productively right now here and I can stay healthy and stay sane and stay, you know, I, I enjoy myself here and um, I'll leave for the film though. You know, if I, if I can premiere it at, at, at the one festival that might actually, like, have a physical premiere, I'll go. Otherwise, hopefully I raise a little bit of money and I shoot the next part of the film, which is, it's, basically I made one third of it as a standalone. And then the rest of it is, yeah, yeah, that's how I, how I, I I did it almost, I I fell into that kind of, where I had, I had a short written and then I had two more that I just Mm -hmm. wrote, like, without, real intention attached. It just, they just kind yeah. of came together. Like I heard a story and that made me think of something, you know, it's just things that I wrote when I just like took the opportunity. And then I realized that they were all like this, they were all cohesive. And I was already in the midst of making the first one. And then I reshaped it very, very little because they just worked so well as a triptych. And yes, yeah. Yeah, so I reformed, you know, I, I made a new script at, of all of them together and that's the that's the plan is to shoot the other two and then there's sort of an epilogue to it all and yeah i want to do and it on exactly the same scale hopefully really soon <laughs> you know i i would shoot in september october if i could get it together cuz i have everything it's the only thing you know is casting like i don't know what's going to i wrote it for people like every role is written for like I know who I want for everything. Everything is like ready to go and I don't need a lot of money. I shot the first one for money, you know, I paid for it myself with like money that you know, not a lot of money and I could shoot the rest of it for the same I I know exactly. Like the film is like shot listed and built already. So I know how to do the whole I know the locations, I know everything. So yeah, so that's that's what now that I have uh, the first one was shot in right outside of Atlantic City in a, a place called Absecon, which is like, if you know, Atlantic city is like a big, like sort of peninsula strip. And then there's this highway bridge. And then right after that, it's like swampland and it's disgusting and it's rotting and it's all these strip motels and it's like roadside motels. And it's shot at one of those that is on the grounds of an old drive-in from the, you know, from, I don't know, a long time ago. And it's a Walter Reed theater. And, uh, So the drive-in screen is in the background of this motel, and we shot at that motel. And it's, um, yes, that's the first one. And they're all at hotels, which I had already written it that way. I didn't know pandemic was going to happen, and it worked out so great. So the second one's in Manhattan, and the third one's uh, upstate New York. Great. So that's the idea.
1: uh, We're upstate
0: Uh, probably, I mean, I, I depending, you know, dates and, and details and whatnot, but I would do it at my friend's like Hudson, New York. Uh, he has a, like an in retreat. I don't know what they call it, but it's, you know, it's like a 10 rooms with like a bunch of different, you know, there's like a spa and it's, I don't know what they call it, but it's it's like an inn <laughs> retreat, like country in kind of retreat place. But it's like they have a farm and shit. It's like there's land. Uh, it's really beautiful. And there's water. Great. But yeah, it's in, it's in, in Hudson, New York. Uh, and yeah, so it's like super reasonable that I could get that together. That's why I'm really excited about it. Like even with quarantine, I could do a two-day shoot in a hotel in Manhattan, which is all I would need. And then I could do like a five-day shoot upstate new york with everyone in the same place and i don't need people running around and that's like the guidelines of shooting is like you go somewhere there's no background actors there's no like we're not shooting anything in the streets or whatever it's all it's all contained so hopefully that is what's next and we'll see (laughs) yeah great Yeah. great well, dude, it's it's wonderful catching up, and it's great catching I hope to it's been a maybe long time. I can find a way to see your see your VR project. I don't have anything here, but I don't know, maybe Leo well, we're we're, we're get figuring something.
1: out some way to some way to share it online. Yeah, there'll be something after the opening soon. For There's sure. got to be
0: some kid in Korea who has a VR headset, <laughs> like want some some some, some like eighteen year old who who's who's bored and and brought one with him or something maybe we could use that leo will definitely want to see it yeah
1: Yeah. that was hilarious when i saw that you two were together
0: it's did she tell you how we met
1: no she didn't
0: so she was my so i have all these terraces here and there's one terrace above mine and all of a sudden and i had like a month of like complete so there's no like renters here it's only like homeowners and because yeah. just like no one would be here, you know, so I was randomly yeah. here because I was taking this like little two week like convalescence for myself. And then I ended up renting a house and there's just no one else around. I'm the only one here. So I had silence. And then and I'm like meditating every day I'm out. I have this beautiful like porch that I um, that I'll, that I'll sunbathe on. And then all of a sudden I start hearing like this loud French person. And I'm like, eventually, you know, she's like right above me and she's just killing my, my solitude, my silence. And I, eventually I'm like, tranquilo, por favor. <laughs> like, yeah. And it was Leo who was in, there's like a small place right above mine. So it wasn't really her fault because like she couldn't leave because she was on quarantine. And her place is just, the, the apartment above me is a small, is like a one room studio pretty much. Yeah. And that's it. There's no other like places around me. So she has nowhere to go. So she's just like right above me, right above my like quiet meditative spot. And she's on the phone all day because like, what else is she going to do? She's trying to work. <laughs> and that's like her office. So but but she's, you know, you know her and she's loud and she's boisterous. And she's like, so I was and then eventually we talked and realized that we knew all the same people and all that stuff and became friends. But first was me yelling, being like, Come on, like, yo, like you've been on the phone for seven hours. Like <laughs> give, me, give me a break. Like, that was how we first connected. I was like, How do you have these many people to fucking talk to? Like who who cares? Like, <laughs> like do you need a book? I'll 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 throw a book up to you. Like <laughs>
1: All right. Well, I look forward to to, to seeing each other in Rio. And yeah, to... hopefully,
0: hopefully I'll be in Europe in a few months, and and I'll hit you I'll up. be in
1: Venice. If you are in Venice, let me know. I'll drive down. It's close to Austria. I can be there in three it hours. Is,
0: please. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully I go out in August because I'll want to go early just in case, like you know, they need to quarantine me. So hopefully I'm in. I'm flying to Milan or Venice. Come, you know come top of august and and i'll be in premiering a film in september fingers crossed it's happening. cheers man yeah thank you so much for doing this and uh thank you so much keep me posted on the vr and and hopefully i see you sometime in the
1: new world <laughs> good luck with geneva
0: Peace. Peace, brother.